Sports Scripts with Decrom is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics, and follow them on Twitter at RealTCAthletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D-Crom. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host, David Cromwell. It's hard to believe, but we're already one quarter of the way through the 2018 NFL season, and Week 4 gave us some amazing performances, career games for Jared Goff and Mitchell Trubisky, an impressive debut and coming-of-age game on national television for Patrick Mahomes, three overtime games plus two last-second finishes in regulation were a fitting conclusion to a wild first month of this 2018 season, and what we saw this past week is likely just a preview of what awaits us these next 13 weeks, and the journey begins tonight with the beginning of week 5, and it's a pleasure to bring back my right-hand man, Hal Bent, of FullPressCoverage.com to help us preview what should be another exciting, heart-palpitating weekend of NFL action. What's up, pal? How you doing? I'm doing great, David. Excited to have a whole month of September behind us full of ups and downs and fantastic finishes and ties and injuries it, it, it had everything and you know we're only a quarter of the way through and it's exciting to look forward now it most certainly is and we have two must-see games this week that we're going to preview in a little bit but let's uh, discuss our main takeaways from week four and i want to start with this i owe the jacksonville jaguars an apology and that's because i owe the tennessee titans an apology a couple weeks ago, I challenged the Jacksonville Jaguars to not play down to their competition and take the Tennessee Titans for granted, and they wound up losing that game 9-6, and I ridiculed them last week of playing down to their competition. It turns out these Tennessee Titans are for real. They're not a joke. Mike Vrabel has instilled a new culture of playing for 60 minutes, no quit, do everything you can in playing to win and a very talented young defense uh, led by the veteran Jarrell Casey on the defensive line. And you got promising uh, rookie edge rush phenom Harold Landry. You got a young linebacker in R- Rashawn Evans and that amazing secondary, Kevin Byard, Kenny Vaccaro, and the corners of Logan Ryan, Adoree Jackson, Malcolm Butler, and Marcus Mariota under new offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur. Uh, with Corey Davis, uh, they showed their potential in that uh, Sean McVay-esque system last week in that amazing overtime win against the Eagles. These Tennessee Titans are for real. So I apologize, Jacksonville Jaguars, for accusing you of playing down to your competition because the Tennessee Titans are that good. And I apologize, Tennessee Titans. You are legit contenders. And my other biggest takeaway, Doug Peterson, you have revolutionized the game for the better. Doug Peterson's... Um, Countless gambles on fourth down last year have inspired coaches around the league to do the same. A lot of people were ridiculing Frank Reich for going for it in overtime, and he missed, and that obviously gave the Texans good field position to attempt the game-winning field goal, but you don't play to lose, play not to lose. You don't play to tie, you play to win. I agree with you, Frank Reich. You play to win the game. You have to go for it. And especially if you're playing a high-quality opponent like the Patriots, field goals don't do you no good. 
It's all about getting the ball in the end zone. You have to consistently play to win and not play to lose. That means going for it on fourth down over attempting a field goal a lot of the time. A new aggressive era of play calling in football is upon us. And Doug Peterson, it's all thanks to you. So those were my big takeaways from week four. What about you, Hal? Well, your takeaways on the coaches uh, as well. You know, Mike Vrabel, a defensive coach coming in and and the excitement of Frank Reich. And I I think we're going to get back to that later on in the show as well. But my takeaways, I'm still looking at the quarterbacks and I'm saying don't forget about Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield's well-deserved press. Uh, You know, the Jets with Sam Darnold, great player there, obviously. Josh Allen exceeding expectations in Buffalo. But Josh Rosen, probably the most complete quarterback in the draft coming out. The numbers don't jump off the page for you, completing 55% of his passes, but no interceptions. And he was under pressure per pro football focus on half of his snaps. Throw in the fact that he was poised, accurate. His receivers dropped four passes. This was a great first showing for Josh Rosen. And it looks like we've got four impressive young quarterbacks just from this past draft. And then you look at the other young quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, looking like Deshaun Watson of 2017 for the first time, running around, making plays, pinpoint accuracy. And Carson Wentz comes out, completing 66% of his passes, throwing for almost 350 yards, bouncing back, both quarterbacks bouncing back from their knee injuries of last year. And All of a sudden, there's a plethora of young quarterback talent. And just when you thought it was saturated, here comes Josh Rosen and the bounce back of Watson and Wentz. What a great week. An amazing week. And as I posted on my Facebook page a couple days ago, I couldn't be more optimistic about the future of the NFL quarterback position when just a couple years ago, it appeared quite grim. Exactly. I mean, a couple years ago, we're saying, well, there's Rodgers, there's Brady. We hope it's luck. And, you know, we seem stuck. And everybody was talking about the college system isn't going to put, you know, the, you, you can't trust a Texas Tech quarterback and all that baloney that came out of those days. And now we're seeing, no, no, no. We just need those young coaches who know how to coach these players and get the best out of them. And we're seeing great talent from the quarterbacks. We most certainly are. And now let's move on to a very, very special occasional part on this program. It is our quarter poll awards. We give our awards based on performances in the first four weeks of the season. Let's start with MVP. Uh, It was a toss-up for me between Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff, but what made me decide Patrick Mahomes here is because the Rams are a more complete team on both sides of the football. As great as the Chiefs are on offense, their defense is absolutely atrocious, and you saw signs of that on Monday night. Missed tackles left and right, and they almost blew that game to Denver even in the final seconds to a guy like Case Keenum for crying out loud. Some alarming trends on that Chiefs defense that they're going to have to make some trades and make some moves before the deadline to get that defense shored up if they want to make it all the way to the Super Bowl. But they're winning now mainly because of Patrick Mahomes. If Patrick Mahomes was wasn't the quarterback for this team, they wouldn't be undefeated. So that's why Patrick Mahomes is your MVP for the quarter poll. 
Well, David, I'm I'm thinking around the same thing. It's pretty much a, a coin flip between Mahomes and Jared Goff. And, you know, I went with Goff for the MVP only because he is able to execute that offense to perfection in Los Angeles. And I don't think you could plug someone in right now and be able to pick that up. He is the most valuable. He is the engine that, despite all the other parts for the Rams that are so imperative, that those big names on defense, they're not winning anything. And we saw that on Thursday night as well without Jared Goff making those pinpoint accurate throws all over the field. It was an absolutely amazing thing. But like I said, I either way, Mahomes or Goff, you can't be wrong. I completely agree, Hal. That's why for my Offensive Player of the Year honors, I picked the runner-up in my view, which was Jared Goff. So Patrick Mahomes is my MVP and Jared Goff wins Offensive Player of the Year. What do you think? I did the exact same but opposite. Jared Goff is MVP, Mahomes is Offensive Player of the Year because I gave it to the runner-up. And and really, we're both right. Flip a coin, whatever you want to call them. Those two have been amazing. Indeed. You cannot go wrong with Mahomes or Goff for either MVP or Offensive Player of the Year. And when it comes to Defensive Player of the Year, I think it would be near unanimous that it would be Khalil Mack at this point in the year. What do you think? Oh, definitely. I mean, you look at it and I really looked at it and said, geez, I'd love to give it to Geno Atkins because he's been fantastic in turning around Cincinnati. Uh, Aaron Donald, you know, we talk about the great players with the Rams. He's doing just as well, if not better, as he did last year as Defensive Player of the Year. But Khalil Mack has been on another planet this year. He has been single-handedly turning games around, making the impacts, the Four weeks in a row with a strip sack, the constant pressure. Um, I, I don't know who would pick against him except maybe John Gruden. Yes, and it baffles me to this day that John Gruden traded him. He is a game-changing force. Why did they trade him? I still have no idea, and I don't buy those uh, cash flow excuses at all. No, I mean, we talked at the beginning of the year when we were talking about contracts in the preseason, David, and I think we both agreed if if you're going to Las Vegas, you're going to want sparkle, you're going to want a player who shines, you want somebody to put out as the face of that franchise, and we both agreed Khalil Mack made sense to be that player, and for some reason, nobody knows why, John Gruden didn't think so. And Khalil Mack is making him sorry, or at least should be making him sorry, that uh, Gruden let him go. Definitely. Without a doubt, he, uh, Gruden just looks foolish, more foolish every week that Mack continues to put up great numbers and become the face of the Chicago Bears uh, franchise now. Yes, and Khalil Mack has uh, essentially been the final piece for this decade's version of the Monsters of the Midway. He is, you know, uh, just next in line of all those great linebackers and uh, defensive players. You think back to those 85 Bears, and and here comes Mac, just dropped in their lap for the cost of, you know, whatever you want to pay him and a few draft picks. And it's crazy, but that's all it took for Chicago to, to get him away from Oakland. Indeed. And now moving on to our Offensive Rookie of the Year, 
I just have to go with Calvin Ridley here. He already has six touchdown receptions. Matt Ryan appears to trust him. He provides that presence opposite Julio Jones that the Falcons have lacked since Roddy White. He is everything that I hoped he'd be for the Falcons. Calvin Ridley is my offensive rookie of the year at the quarter pole. What about you, Hal? Yeah, I mean, we talked about him at the beginning of the season as well in our previews as what a what a weapon he can be in that Atlanta offense, and he's certainly shown that. Um, you know, the young quarterbacks, we saw, you know, Baker Mayfield has been great. I talked about Josh Rosen. Sam Darnold had that great first game of the season, but really it's Ridley's head and shoulders above everybody right now at this point. It'll probably be Mayfield by the end of the season. I don't know, but right now, Ridley. Indeed. And for Defensive Rookie of the Year, the guy who I predicted would win the award in our uh, season preview before week one is doing exactly that. Derwin James, he is a chess piece. He is a weapon that the Chargers can deploy in many different facets, as we talked about countless times on the show. He has like, what, three sacks now for a safety? That is rare, man. He is a rare weapon, and he is single-handedly keeping that Chargers defense competent without Joey Bosa. And the fact that he fell so far in the draft to the 17th pick, I just cannot believe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who apparently had their eyes set on him, chose Vita Vea at 12 over him. That is a move I just will probably never understand. And the Redskins, yes, Deron Payne has been good for them too, but they could have used him as well. Why did he fall that far? I'll never know. Derwin James is your defensive rookie of the year at the quarter pole in my eyes. What about you? Well, I thought about James, but... This week, I, I've been watching a lot of the Colts this season, and I'm telling you, I have fallen in love with Darius Leonard, their second-round draft pick. This kid does everything from the linebacker position. He's leading the NFL in tackles right now. He's got four sacks so far. He's a great blitzer. He can drop back in coverage in the passing game. He just jumps off of the screen when you're watching him. The problem is nobody's watching the Colts. So Darius Leonard's a little under the radar right now, but he is making his case for defensive rookie of the year. And now this week, he's going to be in prime time, hopefully healthy enough to play with the rest of the banged up Colts. But he could be making his entrance on the big stage on Thursday night. Oh, not a bad choice at all, Hal. And uh, Darius Leonard, uh, hopefully if he's healthy enough, I hope to get a chance to see him play on Thursday night because uh, he is everything as you described him to be. And uh, he's uh, been a rookie that has surprisingly grown up so quickly and turning into a force in this league. Uh, Darius Leonard is another fine choice for Defensive Rookie of the Year at the quarter pole. And for Comeback Player of the Year, you just got to go J.J. Watt. Countless talking heads were saying after his uh, uh, injury last year that J.J. Watt would never return to dominance. How wrong they were. J.J. Watt is constantly winning his repetitions on snap after snap after snap. And I believe he already has three sacks. And he looks back to that MVP J.J. Watt that we were accustomed to seeing in 2014 and 2015. J.J. Watt is back. And I... Uh, people were telling me J.J. Watt, uh, knowing him, that he would be the last guy who wanted out. He's proven all those doubters wrong. Hands down, J.J. Watt, the guy who I predicted to be the comeback player of the year, is the comeback player of the year for the first quarter of the season. 
Oh, definitely. I don't, I don't see how we would pick anybody other than Watt. Uh, his return to the stage, everything he brings to that defense, just the energy, the ability to change the game. Um, you know, it may end up being Andrew Luck by the end of the season, but for right now at the quarter pole, it's J.J. Watt starting to take a big lead in that uh, comeback player of the year race right now. And for Coach of the Year, I kind of tipped my hand a little earlier in the show. I'm going with Mike Vrabel. How much he's gotten out of that roster, which is, under his own admission, not the most talented team in the league, but he's created that culture of grinders, dare I say, of players that go full speed ahead for 60 minutes and don't let up a single play. There's no loafing around under Mike Vrabel. You have to give full effort and a high motor every play, or else you're not going to see the field under Mike Vrabel. That culture, that mindset that he's helped bring to Tennessee that was originally thought up by a general manager, John Robinson, he is bringing that view to life finally in Tennessee. Uh, Mike Malarkey didn't bring that on a consistent basis. Mike Vrabel is. He is making the Tennessee Titans play like the team we expected them to be last year, despite um, uh, some people getting long in the tooth and some, uh, some injuries. But Mike Vrabel is making the Tennessee Titans look like a legitimate force. And I dismissed uh, their victory against the Jaguars as a joke last week. They proved to me they're no joke at all against the Eagles. So Mike Vrabel for Coach of the Year at the quarter pole. It's a great choice, David. It's very difficult to to pick against. I mean, if you're looking around, there's so many, whether it's Matt Nagy in Chicago, whether it's Sean McVay with the Rams, don't overlook Andy Reid. Again, has Kansas City up at the top of the division. Um, You know, you've got Vrabel. You've got, you know, the old standbys that, that just keep plugging along there. You've got Harbaugh and Baltimore back up to the top of the division there as well. So many good coaches. You know, for me, I mean, it it's almost impossible. You're flipping a coin and the two best teams right now, Kansas City and the Rams, I'm giving the edge to Andy Reid just because not only is he the coach of the year, but just look at Nagy, Peterson, Reich, his tree that's spreading out across the NFL. That's going to give him just enough of a boost to have him as my coach of the year so far for 2018. And dare I say, should the trends continue with these uh, spread option quarterbacks coming into the league or spread quarterbacks, period, uh, with what Reed is doing with Pat Mahomes, what Matt Nagy is doing with Mitchell Trubisky, we saw some of the fruits of that labor uh, last week, what uh, Frank Reich is doing with Andrew Luck in the second phase of his career, Andy Reed's coaching tree is just making football a more interesting sport, and Andy Reed's uh, development of Patrick Mahomes this quickly, I think, makes him a Hall of Fame candidate after his career is done because uh, what Patrick Mahomes is doing in this league, coming out of that spread office from Texas Tech, is going to single-handedly change the way the league approaches evaluating quarterbacks. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, he has been at the forefront. Um, you know, I mean, look at what he did in the late 2000s with Philadelphia drafting Donovan McNabb and and now with this Chiefs team, the way that he's turned that franchise around and then elevated it to that next level. I think you're definitely looking at a future Hall of Fame coach in Andy Reid. I, if I had a vote on the Pro Football Hall of Fame Board of Selectors, I would be pounding the table for Andy Reid his first year of eligibility. But that said, speaking of Andy Reid, the Kansas City Chiefs, 
on Sunday afternoon hosts the Jacksonville Jaguars in what is arguably the game of the week. The unstoppable force that is the Chiefs offense meets the immovable object that is the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. It is must-see TV and most of the country should be watching that game at noon on Sunday on CBS from Arrowhead Stadium. And when it comes to the Jaguars defense, a few weeks ago we discussed slot cornerback as potentially the biggest weakness on that unit. And today, Jaguars head coach Doug Marone announced their starting slot corner, DJ Hayden, will not play this week. And as a result of that, how big of a role do you think this means that Sammy Watkins can play this week for the Chiefs? Well, first off for Watkins is he has to get on the field after he, you know, apparently injured that hamstring. Uh, Can I interrupt you there, Hal? Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, Yes, uh, he practiced today, so that's a good sign for his availability on Sunday. That's very good for his availability because he killed my fantasy football team this week, but <laughs> last week. So <laughs> he better be out there. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that is a like we had talked about. That is that one weakness that you're looking at. And now for Jacksonville, you know, who goes into that role without Hayden? You know, you've got Trey Herndon. You've got. Tyler Patman. I mean, these guys can walk down the street. Nobody's going to know who they are. Um, they better make their presence felt on the field because Watkins in the slot. And the other thing with Kansas City is if Andy Reid smells a mismatch, he will move his pieces around like chess pieces to get whatever matchup he can. And so you're going to see Tyreek Hill, like he always is, lined up all over the place and trying to take advantage of getting Hill away from Ramsey and Boyer to make some really big plays coming out of that slot. Oh, indeed. You could see uh, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, and Travis Kelsey getting their fair share of reps in that slot on Sunday. But when you flip it to the Chiefs offense, if there is a weak spot you can find in this Chiefs offense, what is it and how do the Jaguars exploit it? Personally, I'm thinking left tackle because Eric Fisher looked very sloppy at times against Bradley Chubb on Monday night. And putting uh, either Yannick Ngakwe or Dante Fowler Jr. or even uh, Calais Campbell um, against him in certain packages, uh, that could be a promising matchup for the Jaguars. Yeah, I was surprised with Kansas City uh, going up against Denver. Denver got a lot of, I mean, they played, Denver played great for three and a half quarters on defense. And, you know, it looked like they just ran out of gas at the end of that game. But they really, with minimal blitzing, you know, um, picking their spots for the blitzing, really had Kansas City back on their heels. And it was not the best game by that Kansas City Chiefs offensive line. And, And for a unit that's been together as long as they've been fairly cohesive, most of those parts, they weren't communicating well. And there were a lot of situations where you were looking at blitzers getting through almost unblocked, um, you know, double teaming and one guy getting free with a back trying to pick him up. It did not look like that cohesive Kansas City offense. And I think, you know, Jacksonville is watching that tape and they've got their wrinkles as well. And they're going to try to attack that Kansas city offensive line and get that offense back on its heels. Indeed. And you could argue that the Jaguars boasted even more dangerous pass rush than the Broncos because they have uh, more star bodies aside from uh, two and Miller and Chubb. You got Yannick Ngakwe, you got Dante Fowler Jr., you got Malik Jackson, you got Calais Campbell, you got Marcel Darius, and you got a lot of other bodies that the Jaguars could use to make Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable and keep him in the pocket. 
Exactly. And that's, you know, and then, you know, if you take a Miles Jack or a Telvin Smith or and, and unleash them at the quarterback as well, I mean, Jacksonville can bring pressure from anywhere on the field. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jalen Ramsey even get a couple of shots blitzing as well, just to try to get the Chiefs out of that offensive rhythm and looking for blockers instead of looking downfield. Indeed. And moving on to the Chiefs to the other side of the football, like I said, uh, their defense could be the straw that breaks the camel's back for them come playoff time. They're going to have to add some parts of that defense in a hurry. But if you look at that defense, uh, the strength of that defense, if there is one, is their front. Justin Houston, when he um, is on his A game, he's uh, as good as any pass rusher in this league. D Ford, he, although he's been a disappointment uh, throughout most of his career, he's off to a good start this season. But the challenge is, can he stay healthy? And Chris Jones, who has been a massively underrated uh, defensive end, defensive tackle in sub-packages, uh, has been a, a very, very, very studly um, player at his position for the first couple years of his career. Uh, I, I just love Chris Jones so much. I run out of words to describe him. Forgive me. And by the way, Chris Jones is, uh, our friend of the pod, Nick Kendall's, uh, Chris Jones is his baby boy, dare I say. If he had one, Chris Jones would be his baby boy. <laughs> yep. So, and he was very shocked that uh, Chris Jones fell to the second round. So if you had to pick one of those three defenders for this game, who would be the most important for the Chiefs in this game and why? Would it be Justin Houston, Chris Jones, or D. Ford? You know, it, it's going to have to be Justin Houston. He is the most established pass rusher in that group, and any chance Kansas City has of winning here against the Jaguars is, you know, as shocking as it is for me to say it, you know, they're going to have to find a way to slow down Blake Bortles, who has continued his improvement as a quarterback with only a few minor hiccups this year. But that finish to the season last year has carried over into this year. The Jaguars actually have an offensive attack to go with that defense. And Kansas City, if you don't get Bortles rattled early, you could be in for a long game with that Jacksonville offense now. Oh, indeed. And Andy Benoit of Sports Illustrated uh, tweeted out this week that he thinks the Jaguars are the best team in the NFL in running those uh, underneath routes. And those underneath routes to get somebody open right away has really, really helped uh, Blake Bortles flourish within the right system that they've uh, crafted for him. So that's something the Chiefs are going to have to be prepared for as well. And that uh, underneath passing attack is like an extension of your running game. But if you're Jacksonville, even without Leonard Fournette playing, do TJ Eldon and Corey Grant and the rest of your running back stable in this game have well north of the 20 rushing attempts the Broncos had on Monday night? Oh, definitely. I think Yeldon and especially Grant, I, I still don't understand why Jacksonville keeps him under wraps for so long. He is one of their most explosive players. He is a chance at a a big play every time he's touching the ball. They need to get the ball in his hand, get him outside, running to the edges, pound with Yeldon inside. He's got the ability they're both excellent in the passing game, but loosen up those underneath routes by getting the ball on the ground and pounding hard against Kansas City and force them to commit to stopping the run. And then Bortles will have an even easier time of it in the passing game. 
indeed. And from what we saw on Monday night with the Chiefs uh, struggling to uh, bottle up Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay on just 20 carries, uh, if the Jaguars commit to it longer, it could be a long afternoon for that Chiefs defense if they're not uh, ready for it. Yeah, I mean, the, the Chiefs defense has been fortunate that the offense has picked them up for the most part. And, you know, they, they played well, they played OK down the stretch against Denver, but <laughs> let's not give them too many uh, accolades there. But but yeah, that defense could be in for a very tough matchup against this Jacksonville team. So that offense has got players, you know, getting the ball in the hands of Keelan Cole, D.D. Westbrook, uh, Dante Moncrief's helped in that underneath passing game, and and they haven't even gotten D.J. Shark up to speed yet either. So uh, there's a lot of weapons now on that Jacksonville offense in that passing game that they can utilize to move the ball down the field, and the Chiefs have to be ready for that. Also, don't forget, also Safaria Jacobs, the Chiefs don't have a real uh, three-down linebacker on their roster, so that could open up some opportunities for Austin Safarian Jenkins as well. That's a great point, David. Yeah, I mean, if I'm the Chiefs, I don't want Reggie Raglan chasing him around all day. That is not a good matchup. Yes, yeah, so the fact that he got beaten by Andy Janovich and Jeff Hireman last week uh, just uh, explains everything about uh, the limitations of Reggie Ragland's game. And aside from uh, that Chiefs offensive line going against that Jaguars defensive line, what are some other game-deciding matchups uh, you are watching? And uh, I just thought of one, actually. Tyree Kill against Jalen Ramsey. Whenever that happens in the game... Uh, I just wonder who has the edge in that matchup because both of them are going to win their fair share of reps against the other because uh, both of them have strengths that could cancel out uh, the strengths of the opponent. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's just a, such a marquee matchup to see probably one of the top wide receivers in the game right now going up against one of the top cornerbacks in the league. Anytime you see that, it's going to be, you know, must-see TV and where both of them have the ability to make game-changing plays because of their amazing God-given athletic ability, which they supplement with their hard work and attention to fundamentals. It, it's just a fantastic matchup. You know, it's it's going to be trying to figure out in that regards, you know, how are they going to who's going to win that matchup and it may just come down to whoever makes the the last big play in that regard indeed and any other game deciding matchups you could think of well i i i want to see how the chiefs can deploy their offense in the middle of the field against Telvin Smith and Miles Jack there. Those two are capable of doesn't matter if it's, you know, um if it's your slot receiver, if you're running wide receivers, if it's Kelsey going across the middle of the field, those two, Smith and Jack, uh, have shut down everybody. And if they can shut down Kelsey, we saw what happened in the first half when Denver was able to take Kelsey away. That had that whole offense out of sync in Kansas City. And I think Telvin Smith and Miles Jack have an opportunity to do the same thing. And that could be a big win for the Jacksonville defense. It most certainly could. And who do you think comes out on top at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday? You know, uh, before the Denver game, <laughs> I thought Kansas City would have the edge. After that game, I flipped to Jacksonville. I think that defense has too many 
skill position players that can take away Kansas City's strengths on offense. And I see the Jaguars coming out in a surprisingly low-scoring game, 16-13 to 13 over the Chiefs. Wow, very interesting, Cal. This game is going to be very, very close. I agree about that, but... I trust Andy Reid to find a way to exploit the holes in the Jacksonville defense. I expect him to line up Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey in the slot religiously, getting those mismatches for Patrick Mahomes early and often, and also getting Kareem Hunt in space as well, uh, should it uh, hurt at all. And it's going to be a close game, but I trust Andy Reid to come up with just enough plays for that offense and for Patrick Mahomes to execute just enough plays for the Chiefs to come out on top in a very close game, 24-21, to Kansas City Chiefs. And now moving on to the other game of the week in the city of brotherly love where the struggling Philadelphia Eagles meet the struggling Minnesota Vikings. And these two teams are arguably the biggest disappointments through the first quarter of 2018. And when you look at two specific units that were supposed to be strong points for both teams, they're not living up to it. The Eagles' offensive line has been absolutely atrocious. Lane Johnson got eaten alive by Harold Landry last week, folks. And that Viking secondary has been torched, not just by the Rams, but by the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen, for crying out loud, and that pedestrian-wide receiver core. Which of those units do you think has been the bigger disappointment so far this season? Oh, definitely the Minnesota secondary. I mean, that was just a surprise coming out of nowhere. Um, you know, Philadelphia, everyone's a year older on that. You've got the Super Bowl hangover that's coming. You know, Minnesota, I thought, well, maybe they could take a step back on offense, getting Kirk Cousins up to speed. But that deep secondary, Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, rookie Mike Hughes, Mackenzie Alexander. I mean, there, there's no way. I mean, you've got Harrison Smith back there. There's no way these teams should be lighting up this secondary, and yet they're doing it week after week after week so far in 2018. To me, that's just shocking beyond belief. It is indeed shocking beyond belief, and kind of a similar situation awaits the Vikings on offense in this game against the Eagles. You have a stout, stout, stout defensive front with the Eagles, just like they faced with the Rams last week, and that offensive line continued to struggle, but... Their receivers were able to get the best of a depleted Rams secondary, and that Eagles secondary struggled against uh, the Marcus Mariota-Corey Davis show uh, last week, and uh, they were able to get Corey Davis on Avante Maddox to win the game, and that is an extreme mismatch. But what do you think is the bigger mismatch going into this game? The Vikings offensive line against the Eagles defensive line, or Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen and those Vikings receivers against the suspect Eagles secondary? Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is Diggs and Thielen, if if they can't, if, if they, Minnesota doesn't have time to throw the ball, it doesn't matter whether they're running open or not. And I expect those two to be open, but Philadelphia right now, that, that defensive line is just so strong, that front seven of the defense in Philadelphia, they have so many different parts. You're, you're looking at Michael Bennett, Derek Barnett, there's Fletcher Cox, Chris Long, Brandon Graham. It's it's an embarrassment of riches up there. Uh, Jordan Hicks is playing well um, for the Philadelphia as well uh, at the linebacker position. It's just so strong. They've been able to take over teams even when they haven't 
played well on defense and have been losing. They've still been making teams one-dimensional. Nobody's running on Philadelphia. That's the no-run zone right now. And I think it's just a matter of time until that secondary starts to catch up to that front seven in Philadelphia. And we start seeing some teams really shut down by that elite defense. That could very well be the case for the Eagles' defense going forward. But when you look at this game, uh, both these teams come in in an absolute must-win situation. The Eagles are 2-2, two and two, and they're currently looking up at the Washington Redskins in their division, and the Cowboys are tied with them for second place. And the Vikings are looking up at both the Packers and the Bears in their division, and they're 1-2-1. and one. So would you say this game is more important for the Vikings to win or for the Eagles to win, and why? I, you know, it's the Vikings, probably it's more of a must win just because I think Green Bay and Chicago are legitimate threats in that division. Um, They were legitimate threats to start the season. I don't think, well, I never believed in the Giants or the Cowboys heading into this season. The Redskins as well were, you know, they've exceeded my expectations, but I'm not expecting them to be an 11 or 12 win team this year. I think Philadelphia, if they fall to two and three, it's not as big of a deal. They'll be back up by midseason in first place in the NFC East. But for Minnesota, Green Bay's not going away. The Bears aren't going away, as we saw with Mitch Trubisky last week um, with his coming out game with the six touchdowns. So for Minnesota, they have to keep pace with two teams ahead of them in the north, whereas Philadelphia is able to regroup and then get back into that race. I agree 120% with you there, Hal. And when it comes to game-deciding matchups outside the ones we just talked about, Vikings offensive line against the Eagles defensive line or the Eagles secondary against Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, what are some other matchups you could think of that could prove pivotal in this uh, pivotal contest? Well, we we talked about Philadelphia and whether their uh, linebackers are the weakness of that defense, and they may still be. And if I'm Minnesota, I'm going to force them to cover Kyle Rudolph and see how many how many opportunities I can get to convert big first downs by looking for my big tight end there and seeing if Philadelphia has anybody who can make an impact covering Rudolph. With the Philadelphia linebackers, like I said, um, you know, I I think there's been Jordan Hicks has been better than expected. But, you know, do you want to lean on Camus Gruguer-Hill to be be shutting down Rudolph in this passing game? I wouldn't want to be if I was Philadelphia. Um, You know, if you can get Malcolm Jenkins on him, that might be a good opportunity for Philadelphia. But Minnesota using the tight ends, that could be a big matchup there that could swing that game. Ooh, very, very, very good points there, Hal. And who do you think wins this game at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday? Well, I, I think they're pretty evenly matched. And so, you know, the the betting line is always three points goes to the home team. So I'm basically flipping a coin with this game. So I'm going to take the Eagles by three, 24 to 21 over the Vikings. I think the Vikings having an extra three days to prepare for this game is going to help them tremendously in a very close, hard fought 23 to 20 victory. And how do they win? Stay tuned for bold predictions later in the show. And now moving on to our fantasy football portion of our program in Set My Lineup. And today, my good cousin Jody Friedman has given me her PPR team, and she's got a lot of interesting options here starting at quarterback. 
She has both Tom Brady and Matt Ryan. Tom Brady is home on Thursday night against the Colts, but the way Matt Ryan is playing lately, especially with that defense decimated by injuries, now going into Pittsburgh, which projects to be a shootout of other proportions, I'm actually leaning towards Matt Ryan here because he has the even hotter hand at this point. I agree. you got to go with the matchups in fantasy football, and I wouldn't have thought it five weeks ago, but Matt Ryan against the Steelers' sieve of a defense right now, or Tom Brady against an Indianapolis defense, which has been overachieving through four weeks, I think I'm going with Matt Ryan. I completely agree. Matt Ryan it is. And her running backs are Christian McCaffrey, Matt Breida, Philip Lindsay, Jamal Williams, Jay Ajayi, and Dalvin Cook. You definitely have to lock in Christian McCaffrey to one of those running back spots, but it's kind of a crapshoot after that. Uh, Breida against Arizona, Lindsay against the Jets. Uh, I wouldn't touch Jamal Williams. Jay Ajayi doesn't have a good matchup, but David Cook, I would have touched him. He might not even play because he's running against that stout Eagles defense that is the ground control of the National Football League, dare I say. So, out of Matt Breida, Philip Lindsay, or Jay Ajayi or Dalvin Cook, which one of those four do you put in that second running back spot in this PPR league? Ooh, that is a tough one right there. I might, uh, against Arizona, I, I might have to le- lead with Breida. He's, he's been a big play machine and, you know, in the able to run the ball, able to make some big catches as well. Uh, he may break a couple big scoring plays there against that Arizona defense. So I might be leading towards the San Francisco running back to go along with McCaffrey. I agree. If Philip Lindsay was playing at home against the Jets, I might go with Philip Lindsay. But uh, Matt Breida has a much better matchup against the Arizona Cardinals, and he's at home. And Lindsay is on the road at the Jets. So go with Matt Breida in your second running back slot, along with Christian McCaffrey in the other. And wide receivers, she's got Antonio Brown, Demarius Thomas, Robert Woods, and Calvin Ridley. Lock in Antonio Brown and Calvin Ridley in those two wide receiver slots. Plain and simple. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Those two are must-play at this point of the season, without a doubt. Absolutely. So, Antonio Brown, Calvin Ridley will be your wide receivers this week, Jody. Christian McCaffrey and Matt Breed at running back. And Matt Ryan will be your quarterback. And she has Travis Kelsey at tight end. Always play Travis Kelsey, even against a great defense like Jacksonville. Keep it there. But what about flex? Uh, You got Robert Woods, Demarius Thomas, Philip Lindsay, Jay Ajayi, Dalvin Cook. I think you go Robert Woods against the Legion of Boom, minus Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, and Cam Chancellor. Oh, yeah. I I think you really do have to go with Woods there. The the Rams love playing against Seattle. They still are remembering those years past. Uh, It's still in their head there. So uh, Woods has been so good. Uh, Three touchdowns, 24 receptions, over 300 yards through four games. You've got to put him in that flex position. Indeed. So to recap your starting lineup for this week, Jody, we have Matt Ryan as your quarterback, Chris McCaffrey and Matt Breida as your running backs, Antonio Brown and Calvin Ridley as your two wide receivers, Travis Kelsey your tight end, and Robert Woods your flex. But I think you got to go to the waiver wire and pick up another defense, Jody, because from what I saw from your lineup uh, that you gave me last night, the Seahawks are your defense. Get rid of them, and if the Tennessee Titans are on the waiver wire, run and grab them and insert the Tennessee Titans into your defensive slot of, of this week. 
And uh, if the Titans aren't there, you could always go with promising defenses like the Cleveland Browns or the Baltimore Ravens if they're available. Uh, but uh, the Tennessee Titans should be your target when you go to the waiver wire. But even if they're not there, pick up another defense, Jody. Anybody but the Seattle Seahawks. So there you go, Jody. Um, I love you so much. And uh, good luck this week in your matchup. And now moving on to our rapid fire predictions for the rest of the games this weekend, starting with Thursday night's battle between your Patriots and the Colts at Gillette Stadium. The Colts, uh, they've been playing very, very good football despite their one and three record so far this season. But they're too banged up, and I think the Patriots win a rather easy one, 31-17. to Yeah, I've got it a little bit closer, 26-16, to because the Patriots are a little banged up as well. But, boy, I would have loved to see this Colts game with, with that full complement of defensive players healthy in Indianapolis and with T.Y. Hilton on the field. This would have been a fun game. It most certainly would have been. And the Tennessee Titans, who I... They've praised to the moon in this show. Uh, they have an interesting matchup traveling to Buffalo to take on the Bills. That Bills defense is not a bad unit whatsoever, but I think that Titans defense should have no problem containing Josh Allen and that Bills offense, and they win a ugly um, grit-and-grind type Tennessee Titans game 19-10. to I'm pretty close to that score. I have it the same situation, but Tennessee winning 16-3 to in Buffalo. Indeed. And the Miami Dolphins, who came back to earth last Sunday in Foxborough, it doesn't get any easier for them as they travel to Cincinnati to take on the Cincinnati Bengals and their high-flying offense with Joe Mixon returning and with Montez Perfect returning, which should give a lift to their defense that's been struggling in recent weeks. I think I have the Bengals in this game, 27-17. I think the uh, addition of Montez Perfect helps take that defense to another level. Yeah, I've I've got Cincinnati winning um, just uh, one touchdown each for uh, each team. Cincinnati 34 and Miami 24. Oh, fascinating. And uh, Sam Darnold has been struggling in recent weeks after his amazing debut on Monday Night Football in Week 1. And his Jets play host to a Denver Broncos team that blew a heartbreaker against the Chiefs last Monday. Uh, this game is going to be very ugly between two teams that are struggling badly, but I trust uh, the Jets to find ways to get Sam Donald on the move consistently because that's where he could be lethal, just like Patrick Mahomes is lethal on the move. I think the Jets do that just enough, and the Jets pull out a 23-16 to victory over the Broncos. Woo, you know, I, I was expecting a letdown from Denver that I mean to play Kansas City so well like they did in prime time and then have to travel uh to the swamps of New Jersey to play the Jets all the way across the country. Um I expect a letdown, but mm, I still expect Denver to be to have quite enough, just enough to pull out this one in an ugly seventeen to sixteen road win for the Broncos. Too much of the running game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And the Green Bay Packers travel to Motown to take on the Lions in an NFC North grudge match. I have the Packers winning this game. It's going to be close. Uh, Matt Patricia has had the Lions playing very competitive football since that week one uh, disaster against the Jets. But Aaron Rodgers is getting healthier, and that improved defense will make some plays against that talented Lions receiving core to eke out what is going to be a close game, 27-23 Packers. 
Yeah, it, it's going to be close. I mean, for Detroit, you know, you've got Darius Slay was injured last week. Ziggy Anser as well. If you had those two at 100%, I might be leaning towards Detroit. But I'll say it's close enough to go to overtime. But Green Bay wins it 30-27. to 27. Oh, very, very interesting pick there, Hal. And the New York Giants and general manager Dave Gettleman traveled to Carolina to take on the team that fired Gettleman over a year ago, the Carolina Panthers. And that Carolina Panthers offense uh, going against that underrated Giants defense, I think Norv Turner and company find a way to unleash Cam Newton and Christian McCaffrey against that uh, defense, especially that slow linebacking core. Christian McCaffrey should have no problem in space against them. And I believe the Carolina Panthers uh, eke out a 24-13 win against the New York Giants and the washed-up Eli Manning. Yeah, I, I, I think the Giants, you're going to see a lot of Saquon Barkley in this game trying to get him started and control the ball in the game. But, you know, my score is only off by one point from yours, David. I've got Carolina 23-13 to over the Giants. And as I alluded to, what should be a shootout in Heinz Field, the Steelers playing close to the Atlanta Falcons. And I had a hard time picking this game because both these defenses are absolutely terrible. The Falcons absolutely decimated by injuries and the Steelers, they can't cover anybody. John Brown was running free all game last week and they make junior high school mistakes. They just can't get lined up properly way too often. It's just a disgrace to see how horrible that Steelers defense has become. But once I saw that Grady Jarrett was ruled out for this game, I think that that gives me just enough hope and confidence to favor the Steelers here in a narrow, high-scoring 41-38 game. Yeah, I mean, this game is very high-scoring, no doubt about that. Uh, neither defense has been impressive. Uh, basically coming down to a coin flip as to who's going to have the ball last. I have the coin flipped to Atlanta, so I have them 41-37 to 37 over the Steelers. That wouldn't surprise me either. And Baker Mayfield and the Browns, after getting hosed, hosed, dare I say, in Oakland, they play host to the former Browns, the Baltimore Ravens, currently uh, just a half a game uh, technically behind the Cincinnati Bengals for first place given the tiebreaker rules. Uh, so um, I think the Browns put up a nice fight here, but I just really like what the Ravens have done with Joe Flacco this year, uh, surrounding him with the weapons he needs to thrive. Marty Morningweg has been calling some some great games, and that defense is legit. The way they just shut down the Steelers in that second half speaks volumes. The, I, the Ravens are playing like John Harbaugh's on the hot seat and they want to save his job. And I think they continue to play like it in a very close game against the Browns. It's going to be very, very close, but I think the Ravens eke it out 23-20. Uh, to 20. Oh, I like that pick. I think it's going to be very close as well. Uh, I like Cleveland playing at home. There's a lot of energy, enthusiasm now that they finally have their quarterback. You know, if if they can keep Baltimore from running the football, which pretty much everybody has done all year, um, you know, how long can Baltimore keep getting big plays out of John Brown? Uh, how long is Willie Sneed going to be one of the, you know, leading the team in receptions? It just doesn't seem sustainable to me right now. So I'm going to lean towards Cleveland uh, with the upset special 27 to 24 over the Ravens. That really isn't an upset, but that said, yeah. nothing is nothing is really an upset this week. Yeah. <laughs>
the best I could come up with for an upset. How about that? <laughs> That's fair. And if there is the best I could come up with an upset, it's probably this game. Josh Rosen and the Arizona Cardinals traveled to the Bay to take on the 49ers. I think the Cardinals bounce back from a game they should have won last week, and Josh Rosen uh, does what he's supposed to do. He picks apart that 49ers secondary all game long, and he doesn't have as many drops as he had last week, and the Arizona Cardinals find a way to win a pretty ugly game against the 49ers by a 24-17 to margin. Ooh, yeah. It's going to be close. I don't think it's going to be high scoring. And, and I have Arizona coming out on top as well, 16-13 to 13 over San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That is uh, among the snoozer games of the week. And uh, an AFC West clash between the Raiders and the Chargers at StubHub Stadium. Uh, the Raiders, uh, they awoke on offense against a very, very good Browns defense last week, and they head into L.A. to face a Chargers defense minus Joey Bosa. That said, I still think the Raiders got lucky last week, and I don't think they are nearly as fortunate this week as they lose 34-24 to to the Chargers. Yeah, I, we're we're in simpatico on that one, David. I have the Chargers thirty-five to twenty-seven over Oakland. Um, you know the the Chargers. Some tough games. That, you know their only losses are to the two undefeated teams. Hey, you know they've got to be the favorites here. So I'm thinking it's a good bounce back game for the Chargers here against the Raiders. Indeed, and I expect them to play a better game this week than they did last week against C.J. Beathard and the 49ers. The Seahawks, um, even though they lost Earl Thomas for the year, they are winners of two straight, albeit against the Cowboys and the only winless team in the league, the Cardinals. But they have to face the best team in the league this year, the St. Louis Rams. Rams receivers of Jared Goff against that defense. Mismatch of the century. This is my lock of the week. Rams win a relatively easy one in Seattle, 37-20. to yeah, I, I'm thinking the same thing. I don't even give Seattle that many points in garbage time. I have it 38 to 10 Rams over the Seahawks. Mm-mm-mm. And on Sunday Night Football, it's the battle of the Lone Star State as the Dallas Cowboys travel to Houston to take on the Houston Texans. And this is going to be an interesting game. It appeared that the Cowboys finally found a way to make Ezekiel Elliott the centerpiece of that offense in both the run and passing game last week. I think they continue it this week, but I don't think they're going to be as lucky with him this week against that Texans defense with Jadevi Clowney and J.J. Watt. Uh, they will neutralize him in the run game, making the Cowboys one-dimensional. And the Cowboys are going to hang tough. This is going to be a very, very close game. It, heck, it's the battle of the Lone Star State. And football is bigger than almost anything in Texas. So you should expect a dogfight in this game. But I think the Texans defense does their job. at Deshaun Watson uh, and Will Fuller and DeAndre Hopkins make enough plays against that promising young Cowboys defense uh, to eke out a 28-21 to victory. Yeah, I just don't see Dallas getting that offense rolling against Houston. Like, like you had said, there's just too many good players. And, and to see Clowney finally in week four making an impact after being invisible the first couple of weeks of the season, I, I think Houston's pointed in the right direction. I think the offense is pointed in the right direction as well. Deshaun Watson had a great game last week. Um you know, DeAndre Hopkins, you know what you're getting there. They can keep Will Fuller on the field. Kiki Kute, you know, a great uh, emergence last week as well. More weapons for Watson is a good thing. I see Houston outlasting Dallas 20-10. to 10. 
Ooh, hopefully it's not that lopsided. I am expecting a much uh, closer game in Houston on Sunday. And on Monday Night Football, the Washington Redskins travel to the Superdome to take on the Saints, and Drew Brees is only 201 passing yards away from becoming the NFL's all-time leader in passing yards. So we could say it's a near certainty history is going to be made on Monday night. Not only do I think it's going to be made, I think Drew Brees leads the Saints to a 31-23 win over the Redskins. Yeah, I'm almost at the same exact score. I figure Brees will be right after halftime, uh, topping that uh, that passing yards record there. So New Orleans 33, Washington 23 is how I have it. They're just off by a few points. Ooh, we were off by a few points in several of our predictions this week, Hal. But as they say, great minds do think alike. And moving on to our bold predictions for Week 5, starting with me. The Vikings-Eagles will end on a 50-plus yard field goal in overtime by Dan Bailey with just one second left on the game clock before the ball is snapped. We're going to have another nail-biting finish, and it's going to be it's going to come in the Vikings-Eagles game. What about you, Hal? Ooh, my bold prediction, I already talked about how I'm picking the Jaguars over the Chiefs and the Jaguars' defense holding the Chiefs to 13 points. In those 13 points, there's going to be zero passing touchdowns by the leader, Pat Mahomes, who's leading the league in passing touchdowns. And not only at the end of the week will Mahomes still be stuck at 14, but he will be behind Jared Goff, Andy Dalton, Phillip Rivers, and heck, let's throw him out there as well. Matt Ryan, as they throw four, 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 and five touchdowns apiece and leapfrog over Mahomes for the leaders in passing touchdowns this week. Ooh, that is bold indeed. And last but not least, our challenge flags. And for the second week in a row, I am challenging the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings, I predicted you to be the winners of Super Bowl 52. And so far, your season has been an absolute disappointment. But as they say... Champions learn from adversity. Prove you're a champion this week and treat this game like it's your last game of the year and play like it and you will be fine. So Minnesota Vikings, play this game like it's the last one of your season, like your lives depend on it. Ooh, very good, David. My challenge flag is going out to Adam Gase and the Miami Dolphins at 3-0. and They had a lot of people thinking this was the year, the end of the dynasty, and the Patriots not only stepped on their throats, they jumped up and down on them and destroyed them last week. And Adam Gase has to make sure that this embarrassing loss to the Patriots does not carry over and cause a letdown with this team. We saw the Jordan Phillips situation that took place on the sideline. He's already been released. Now for Gase, he's got to rally that locker room because it doesn't get much easier when you're looking at Miami's schedule here going forward. They're going to Cincinnati this week. Then it's the Bears, the Lions, at Houston, the Jets, and at the Packers before their bye week. They could tumble in a hurry if they don't get back on track and make the AFC East an interesting and exciting race and make that game that's down in Miami at the end of the year with the Patriots into a must-see battle of supremacy for that division. And Adam Gase, let me add that if you don't listen to Hal and do what Hal told you to do, you could very well be out of a job by the end of this season. And he is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen. Catch his work at fullpresscoverage.com, bostonsportpage.com, and if you're a Patriots fan, musketfire.com. Hal Bent, 
It's always a pleasure having you on every week to preview football, and we look forward to doing this again next week. David, I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to a great bunch of games here this weekend and some great matchups as we get moving into October and the meat of the NFL schedule. Me too, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week for week six, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. For Hal Bent, our producer Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual, stay awesome.